Hello, and welcome to the Anything But Quiet Time podcast, where at the very beginning of every podcast, I say a weird hello. Yeah, you did that last week too, didn't you? I didn't yeah. realize it until just this you moment. Know, maybe you should sit the next few plays out. I'll, I'll handle the hellos <laughs> from now on. No, that's Rochelle. I'm Carter. We have a lot of fun talking about what we're going through spiritually and love for you to get in on the conversation and not feel um, unwelcomed or judged because you don't know everything because we don't either. No, we don't know everything. But, you know, I'm I'm very skeptical. I'm skeptical of anybody who would say that they do know everything. And I, I'm sure that you know, those are people that Jesus did encounter from time to time. I mean, last week we were talking about the rich young ruler, and he right. was very cocky with the way he was presenting himself before the Lord. Oh, I've done all those things perfect. I've done all the good things, yes. So, <laughs> with a hint of skepticism, Jesus raised his eyebrow and said, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think... I guess he did kind of say it. I think nowadays we don't we don't encounter people that say I know everything, but right. they kind of act like they know everything. And what because of the way that they treat other people who might be ignorant in some ways. True, yeah. I know I do that. So when I say them, I yes, I, I also need to be looking at the mirror because I will hold people to a standard of understanding that they've never been privy to. And then I, in my judgment, start to go down that road of, well, they should have done it this way. How why, why dare we, they not? Why don't, let's play a scenario. I'll okay. be a person who's never heard of the balm of Gilead because I was that person until about six months ago. So then you <laughs> act I'm all snobby about be it. That, well, just, no. but just play it. Just play it. Just okay. play all snobby. All right. Okay. Hey, um, uh, I've never heard of this. Have you ever heard of this balm of uh, Gilead? S- uh, story in the Bible. Okay, it's the balm of Gilead. And oh, okay. Are you telling me you've you've never heard about this balm that could be your healing? Because that's symbolic of what Jesus was going to be for the world. Um, and you call I, yourself a Christian? I've never heard of it, and now I'm not going to hear about anything else because I've yeah. never come back to church. <laughs> I obviously we were overdoing it, but I mean, I, I yeah, we did this thing when I was um, growing up. I remember my family saying, you mean you've never heard of and you fill in the blank. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then we started making fun of ourselves about it because we realized how completely, uh, I don't know, pretentious that sounds. It's just, <laughs> sorry. We didn't like you've never seen Star Wars or, you know, it's like, well, maybe I haven't. So, of course, clearly everybody true. in my life has seen Star Wars. I know. And that's is a good thing. It's never a fun thing to receive that on anything. But but obviously something serious, serious is the Bible as your faith, your the Bible, how you understand it. Yeah, I um I know it can be. uh uh, not encouraging. And so that's why we we provide this. And I, I heard a quote. I just saw this quote literally just a, a minute ago. In fact, let me read it. It was an older gentleman telling this younger gentleman something. And it said this, uh, young man, don't be a porcupine. You got a lot of good points, but don't nobody want to be around you. <laughs> and so like you think about so whether good. it's a, a proverb or just a quote, the, a fool is somebody who thinks he knows everything. Yes. And we can have such great arguments and great points, but are we being loving in the process? And uh, wait, that, I, yeah, I want to yeah. say something right now uh-huh. because I do not know a ton about animals. 
Okay. Uh, in terms of like the the process of, of I don't know hibernation of the porcupine. I don't know that they hibernate. See, I'm telling you right no, there. I'm proving right. right now. Yeah. But let's just say let's use this as an example. Okay. Here's another example. If you did, and you were one of those experts. You might be struggling on the inside right now saying, okay, technically other porcupines don't avoid porcupines <laughs> and they don't have a problem with spikes. So maybe that, no, 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 no. This is what we're talking about. We get so caught up on a thing mm-hmm. that we miss this huge scope, this huge plane of freedom where we're allowed to run and discover who our Jesus is. And so that's what I have to be cautioned about in my life. If somebody says something that kind of triggers me or trips me up a little bit, not to judge them or immediately go, well, but you're wrong on this. Try to hear the heart behind the comments, you know? uh, I'm going to look this verse up because this is what I was just stunned with. Yeah, here we go. When it comes to difficult Christians— Difficult people that you've encountered in church. Maybe the reason you haven't wanted to go to church. Um, and I think also vice versa. Mm-hmm. If you're a, an expert that tries to not show pride and whatever amount of knowledge we have, I think that's a temptation for all of us um, to show off what we know or how we are. Um, what Jesus says in John 13 is is qu- quoted often. And it's quoted, quite frankly, by a lot of non-Christians too. You know, Jesus said in John 13, by this, everyone you you uh, everyone will know that you are my disciples by your love or if you love. Right. That's the quote that people use. Well, there's a song. They will know we are Christians by our love, by, by our, our love. love. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think there's some truth to that. But but that's not all Jesus said. Mm hmm. And so you think about our concentration goes out often to the uh, non-believer. We want our neighbor, our coworker, our, our family member even, um, we want them to know Jesus. And we concentrate on the unbeliever, and we're sick of Christians and those church people. But this is what Jesus said, the whole quote. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another, or if you have love for one another. Or if you have love among one another, there is one another, two words that we don't include in that quote often. So Jesus is not saying unbelievers will know you are my disciples if you love them, at least not with this quote. Mm -hmm. He's saying if you love one another, because how awful is it when we see a church in the headlines, church split, yep, and everybody that's a non-believer in town goes, yeah, yeah, clearly the Christians got it together. Why would I want to go over there and be with them? They can't even get along. Yeah. This is what Jesus is saying. We have to, as believers in him, Mm -hmm. because he's talking to his disciples here. We have to love each other, and that's where a lot of those uh, big and small arguments come about. The carpet of the ch- the the color of the church carpet, uh, come up, and up to things that we do need to have some come to Jesus meetings on, but we still need to love in the process. Hey, you said something un- unbiblical from stage. All right, we need to talk about that and and do it in a loving way. Either let stuff go or talk about important stuff in a loving way. But we have to love each other. Mm-hmm. It's a, a circle of love. Yeah. So it's not the circle of life. Circle. No. Love. Specifically said, it's not the circle of life. So you but can't. I, know, I, I said love. love. I know, but, I I know love. but you can't do that. You can't. Do Come that. on. 
There's no love right now. (laughs) But so, okay, let's say this is what Jesus essentially was saying. Do you want to love God? You want to be, let's go back to the rich young ruler from last week. Uh Do you want to love God? Well, you know, to keep the commandments, to, to love him with everything and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is what Scott McKnight, who I've been reading his book called The Jesus Creed, would equate in loving God well. First, say, yes, I, I want to love God well. Okay, then follow Jesus. So there's a little, let's pretend that that's from uh, the big hand and the little hand okay. <laughs> are at noon. It'll take you all the way to three o'clock. So that's part of the journey. Yeah. And then from three o'clock to six o'clock, uh, I want to follow Jesus. What does that mean? It means to then love others. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then when I love others, oh my goodness, look at all the distance that it takes me from six o'clock straight back up to noon, bypassing even the nine, because that means I'm loving God. Yeah, that's true. When I follow yeah. Jesus and I'm choosing to love others, I am loving God. Well, you're believing his commandments. You're proving that you believe that he is who he said he is because you're living your life based on that. Yeah. And man, it's so easy to say, but then you're presented with that person. <laughs> that person. It's not even the stranger that cuts you off in traffic that ticks you off anyway. It's that reoccurring person. Yeah, it is. Whether it's a family member or a business partner or whatever. You know, because you've got their image in your brain right now and you gritted your teeth just a little bit. That's the person because God has put them in your, quote, circle of love to love. And when you're around them, that doesn't mean you don't you don't have boundaries. But what does it mean to love others, to serve them? How does that mean within those boundaries is what we have to discover? I, um, let me tell you a story and don't ask for a happily ever after here. Uh-huh. Now, how did you use that for Jesus glory? Oh, I didn't. I screwed this one up. Uh, so I love was, these stories. You like that? It makes me so, feel it's like we, why we like reality TV. You screwed up and I want to watch. And I don't have to think about my problems and how I'm screwed up. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, so it was college and we did this little, I was a broadcast major, obviously with everything that, that we do, going to school for broadcasting. And we were doing this little video for a project where uh, banging trash cans was involved. Uh, <laughs> no, the Houston Astros weren't involved, but uh, <laughs> but the banging trash cans were involved. And so there was this cranky woman at the front desk of the uh, the school that I, I went to at the broadcast um, uh, building, she worked at the front desk, and her name was uh, Tressa. And man, it was just everybody had run ins with her. She was just cranky. You'd ask her, Hey, is it this way? I, I don't know. That's not my problem. That's not my job. You know, stuff, just stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, mm-hmm. I, and, and to be honest with you, I, I don't know if she was a believer or not. So, that part of it, I don't even, I don't even know. But we were filming this video after the day had kind of ended so that most classes were, were out, but her day wasn't quite done. And we were banging trash cans and we had a couple of takes of, of on video and there was, you know, so it was about 10 minutes of off and on trash can banging and she just erupted, just came up there and are you done because I am trying to work. And I was like, oh yeah, we literally will take one more, one more time of 30 seconds. No, not 30 seconds. Be done now. Oh my. And I'm like. We are almost done. I mean, I just lost it. I just totally lost it. And I don't usually lose it on people. No, you don't. And I was like, we are almost done. 
we talked about this earlier or whatever exactly the situation was. I was like, how ridiculous is it that I'm telling you 30 seconds from now it will be over? And she's like, no. And I, <laughs> man, was I so mad. And it was, it was, this wasn't the first time. I think if it was, the, I'd never met this woman, I would have been like, who's this crazy lady? <laughs> but it was that reoccurring person. And it's not just in an environment like that. That reoccur reoccurring person can be in your family or in your church. Yeah. And it's an opportunity. You know, I think there it should have been, I would have said one more take and she would have said no. And then I think what I should have done is give it a minute, go take a water break, come back, try to approach. And I don't think it would have done any good on her side, but it's my side that I have to worry about. And I would have gone over there. Um, when, when are you done for your day? And I would have got a snarky response and sure, but I should have, I should have deescalated and shown service and love. And I didn't. So there's two ways that you're probably responding to Carter's story. Either a, I would have done what he did <laughs> uh, because she was in the wrong. That's what I would have done. Or B, I agree with the humble approach. And I just want to say, if you are thinking along the line of A, that means you are a human being. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That means you have human struggles. That means you have human emotions. These are things that God created in you. Emotion is a part of the fabric of who you are. But <laughs> having said that, you know, the Bible is clear about sinning in your anger. And the Holy Spirit always lets you know when you've done that. Even if other people around you wouldn't point out to you and say, oh, I think you, I mean. You can't trust people. You can't. You did fine. Yeah. I, I, They'll always give you me. the benefit of the doubt if they like it. They're going to give you the benefit of the doubt. No. You go to the Holy Spirit, who's probably already given you that little tap on the shoulder. So you know the answer. I went too far. Yeah. Because I took it to a place, even if it, if, even if it didn't come out of my mouth in a way that others were disrupted by it. I am disrupted by it because I know the Holy Spirit was not happy with that choice. And I, I had this, uh, my, my husband has this uncle who is no longer with us. He's with Jesus and Tio Ruben. And apparently Tio Ruben was like that guy that everybody as a follower of Jesus wants to be with a calm, gentle answer, which the Bible tells us turns away what? Wrath. Wrath. Now, listen, I would not have judged you if you didn't know the answer to that. <laughs> yes, you would. <laughs> it's not the balm of Gilead. It's wrath. But a gentle answer turns away wrath. And Teal Ruben was that guy. I mean, he was so calm and chill and respectful. And apparently my mother-in-law, she was she was just singing the praises of this guy. She said, I, you know, she keeps a clean house. The kind of person that if literally somebody served you a steak on a toilet seat in her home, you'd be like, it's fine. <laughs> it's going to be fine. <laughs> That's how clean her home is. And Tio Ruben walked into the house and apparently he was tracking in a little bit of something on the bottom of his shoes. And I, as a woman, can testify, please don't do that. Yeah. That is the worst. I hate that. Don't do that. And she went <laughs> off on him in Spanish. She's like, what are you doing? And. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, just very gently put his shoes away. And she was like always overwhelmed with the kind response that it, there was no defensiveness. His blood pressure wasn't rising, you know, mm -hmm. and it taught her something about patience. And I I never met the man, but he teaches me something about patience. I hugely react to everything. I have confessed that before on this podcast. And so, um, yeah, your response is one that I think I would immediately have done. And then I would have had to come back with my tail between my legs and said, 
even if she didn't receive it, I'd be like, I did wrong. I should not have yelled at you. I'm really sorry. Uh, but I would have yeah. reacted. I would have reacted that way. And then I would have apologized later, which isn't necessarily wrong, because if you can somehow redeem the situation, great. But wouldn't it be great if in the first place? Yes. <laughs> I didn't mess it up the first place. So here's how I think we can get to that place. If we start only having expectations placed on God, period. So I will not be surprised when other people respond or react poorly to things that I have done or will do. I will never be surprised or expect them to say thank you if I present something out of kindness. Mm -hmm. You know, we've talked about me getting out of shape, walking around the block right now, all bent out and frustrated because I got out of that guy's way. Why didn't they get out of mine? Well, because I had placed expectations on them. I got bent out of shape. Yeah, that's true. But I can always know, the Bible tells me that God will never, ever fail to meet expectations because his love will never fail me. And if I recognize what his love provides, it's all encompassing of everything I need, what I need, (laughs) not what I quote, you know, I have to have it now. You know what I'm talking about, the things that are truly vitally important to this life. So you're saying the J.G. Wentworth commercial is not... (laughs) It's my money, and I need it now. Yeah. It's your money. You need it now. Listen, if you want a Lexus, that's great. If you can afford a Lexus, that's great. I'm not speaking about it. But if, like you're on your knees, Lord, I need a Lexus. And you don't have one <laughs> in your driveway tomorrow morning. I would say that those are, yeah. Well, he didn't meet my expectations then. Okay, well, clearly we need to reprioritize some things. But yeah, yeah. he's going to meet your need, and he will not fail you. But Everybody else, including those closest to you, will absolutely devastate your expectations. They will. So if I'm not setting people up for failure in that way, then I'm going to react like Tio Ruben, you know? Yeah. I I think, like you say, even keel with expectations and with personality. And when you're somebody that can't be rattled, there is just something about that that people will always respect. And they may be, the people around you may be freaking out, but if you're somebody that can't be rattled, mm. they will always respect that. And you're also a, a calm in the storm. If, yes. they're not, if, they're not, if they're not freaking out because they're mad, if they're freaking out because they're worried, then people will come to you with advice and you could talk about Jesus in the midst of that. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. And they may ask you what you're on. <laughs> I am not even kidding because, you yeah. know, that's not normal. We just talked yeah, about yeah, being human. Not, yeah. What is normal is to react and do so with, I mean, clearly, that's why road rage is a thing. Yeah, you People, react instantly. Oh, yeah. And now, what, can we give it a name? Is the social media, the, the ugly rage that we see there, does that have a name yet? Can we give it one? Rage. Carter, come on. just off Face the, rage. Face rage. I don't like that. My rage. Um, Insta rage. Soapbox rage. Soapbox rage. Insta rage. Okay. Okay. So I know that's kind of where we go to the knee jerk response and it's human. So we tell ourselves it's human. We shrug it off. Do you want to grow? I want to grow. I want to stop confessing the fact that I knee jerk response to things. I want to be like, I'm learning. I got patience in my pocket. We should be growing. Um, there's there's some people that believe that you can eventually get to a place of being. Actually, this is a great story too. Mm-hmm. There's some people. This is old school. This was um, uh, I can't remember the theologians, but this would have been 18 or 1900s. Uh, but the um, 
uh, one guy was preaching that you can eventually get to be perfect if you if you you know invest in the faith enough and you're of course we're all working hard to be better people um but we're never going to be perfect ever and so if you're ever here you know somebody tell you you can eventually get to a place where you're without sin no i mean well not in this life uh, no and so one guy was saying um <laughs> one guy was saying that at this theologian debate how he is now without sin. He's gotten to a place of without sin. Oh my word. I would I would buy tickets for that just so I could go. Wow, well, is this guy for real? Right, right, right. And so this is what happened the next morning at breakfast. It was a conference and uh, gosh, I just I I know the name. You might know the name too, but it's 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 slipping my mind. So this guy, this famous guy, um he sees the guy that had confessed that the uh, the night before and he goes over at breakfast time and he pours a glass of milk right on the guy's head. And the guy stands up and like pushes him. And he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and he goes, hmm, I didn't think it was true. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I I love that um, the, there is the, the character of Peter that kind of gives us understanding of what perfection and in the verse that we read about in scripture that says, be ye therefore perfect. You know, and it tells you that and you're like, oh, gosh, well, then maybe there is a way to achieve that perfection. Um, only Jesus in you. Only yeah. Jesus in you. We're seen as perfect by God because of what Jesus did. Because of him. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting. Um, we grow in our knowledge of who Jesus is over time, wouldn't you say? We in our we relationship hopefully with him. do. We hopefully do. Yeah. There is this incredible uh, thing I was reading the other day about the person of Peter and it asked, it said, would you think, let me, let me read this verbatim because it's really, really good. When was Peter converted? Uh, okay. okay. In which of the five scenes below do you think Peter is converted? Yeah. It's when he introduced to Jesus. Was I'm that? Gonna say, I'm going to say no. Okay. Keep moving forward. All right. When Jesus sees Simon, he reveals to him that someday he will be called Peter. Is he converted here? And you're saying, hmm. I'm 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 bet there's a, there's another scenario coming at me that's going to hit me. Okay. Is it when Peter confesses he's a sinner? So after fishing all night and he didn't catch anything and then Jesus pulls one out of his hat with this incredible miracle, all these fish suddenly filled the nets of Peter. Peter gets out the boat, gets on his knees and is like, "You need to stay away from me. I am a sinful man." Is that when? Sounds like it could be, but uh the way these questions are set up, usually the first four answers are wrong. So <laughs> okay, keep, okay. Keep, that sounds you know likely, but at the same time, he's going to deny him later, and maybe he just thought that was a really cool trick. And okay, so keep going. Keep is going. it when when he confesses that Jesus is the Messiah? Peter asks the the group of the disciples, "Is all right? Who do people say that I am?" And they all share their answers, and he goes, "But who do you say that I am?" And Peter said, "You're the Christ." So is it there, or I is he say yes to that one? So you want to say yes? I want to say yes to that one so bad. Is he only converted after the death and resurrection of Jesus when Peter is asked three times? And of course, that correlates with his denying Jesus three times before Jesus dies and resurrects. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter says, yes, yes, yes. You can hear the commitment. Is he then converted then? Uh, I would say no to that. I would say more likely on the last one, but okay. go, go, go to the fifth one. The last one is this. Is it his conversion when the Holy Spirit makes a visit during Pentecost and it says this is after Jesus has ascended into heaven and even tells the disciples, unless I go, Holy Spirit's not going to be able to to do the things that he needs to do through you. Uh, I, 
Go ahead. Go ahead. No, and so this day is called Pentecost. Maybe you've heard of that that name. It's a big Christian. Yeah, maybe you've heard of it. Church name. <laughs> What are you doing? I'm being the judgmental <laughs> oh. person we talked about at the beginning of this. <laughs> okay, okay. So is it then? See, it's interesting because Peter's in a way different situation than we, we are. So it's because he lived before Christ. Yes. Uh, like before, you know, the process of everything, before the Holy Spirit came. So I would say if it was nowadays, it's a combination of three and five. He believed and received the Holy Spirit. That I would say it's a combination of, of three and five. So this is what Scott McKnight the author of the Jesus Creed says in his in his visiting these five different events, he said the unserious can humor themselves with this from all of this number counting groups. Those are the people that uh, is, would anybody here like to accept Jesus? And then they're the ones who have been asked by the church to count mm-hmm. how many have raised their hands and then they recorded in a book somewhere. I know during my father's children's ministry, you would get a sticker. If you yeah. ask Jesus into your heart. Right. The number counting groups might like the first sign of life in Peter in scene one. Oh, confession. I'm a sinner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might ever so slightly smile with that. Uh, while creedal Christians stand up at Peter's first confession of Jesus as the Christ. So those are the people with uh, a creed being what you believe. And then the charismatics finally find a brother when Jesus is flooded from above with the Holy Spirit's fire, he says. (laughs) (laughs) The socially active churches are unenthusiastically satisfied when Peter finally embraces the multicultural acceptance of Gentiles. Do you remember that? Yeah. That happens after Paul kind of goes, dude, you know, in fact, he has this incredible vision where God reveals to him through a sheet filled with. Oddly enough, unclean animals, and that's, that's when God reveals to him. That bacon's okay to eat. That bacon's yeah. okay to eat kind that's of a, a thing. That's a big moment. That's a big moment. It's a big one for you, I know, brother. <laughs> but there's still parts later on in the church where even after this revelation, Paul has to kind of come back to Peter and say, dude, you are, if this, if if God has revealed this to you, that Gentiles are welcome at the table, then we need to make some adjustments here in the church. And Peter is so cool. He does what Tio Ruben would be doing. He, he admits to this and humbles himself and receives what's the instruction of Paul. So that's very interesting. Yeah. But uh, it says, no one doubts that Peter's converted, but we may not be sure when the moment occurs, when he gets his quote birth certificate. And therein lies the mystery of conversion. It's more than just an event. It's a process like wisdom. It takes a lifetime. Conversion is a lifelong series of gentle or noisy nods of the soul. The question of when someone is converted is much less important than that. They are converting see it helped grow my understanding of the word converted yeah because when you say you're converted then that means something is completely already changed and so then we're set up to think that i have to make this complete revolution right now everything needs to be perfected no jesus is the only thing that has been perfected in my life but i myself will be under his instruction until that day where i meet him face to face and it will be a process for me to continue in that converting process. Does that make sense? Yeah, you're definitely, you know, I don't know. Um, it just depends. On, like people, I, I am reinventing, I think, that word in our culture right now through yeah. the words of Scott McKnight. Because it made me go, whoa, wait, what? Yeah, you're going to be a different product. If you're if you're a person that believes and seeks after Jesus, you are going to be, even let's say um, you're saved at age 20 and you live to age 80. 
you are going to be a different product. You're going to be a different, uh, you're, you're, tr you're constantly converting, I guess, uh, up until age, until you die, if you're seeking after Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, but as for, you know, getting to heaven, that salvation moment, um, you know, what we were talking about last week is it's believing and then all of the, uh, the more understanding and specifically the obedience, you know, is a fruit of, of you, of your salvation, of you, of faith alone. Yeah. Um, but I'd still say you are, yeah, I'd say that's right. You are, you're still converting. You are still becoming a new, a newer person, a, a hopefully a, a person more like Jesus each and every day. I think maybe we've, we've made the word converted and saved synonymous. And I yeah, think that's true. You are saved, period. The moment you say yes to Jesus, period. Uh, yeah. But you are ever converting. So I, I don't know anything about wine. And I, I pray this is not offensive to anyone who has chosen not to drink. My husband and I choose not to drink. His his dad dealt with some alcoholism. Yeah. yeah. Um. So but I, from what I understand, the process is, you know, the wine is put into a barrel and then it's aged. Yeah. And it, it for it to be at its best. It has to be a certain process of time that it goes through in order to get the best reaction from the one who drinks it. So it's still wine the first time it's put in the barrel, right? But, but for it to yeah. fully get to that conversion place to be drinkable, it is a process of time. And I think that's his point. It's like all of these places of time with Peter and his relationship to Christ were hugely a part of his conversion to the day that he died, hung upside down on a cross and martyred for Christ. It was a conversion, but he was saved the moment that his heart and his mind turned towards Christ and followed him because he made choices that followed after that that led him to a place of salvation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought that was hugely interesting. And um, I, 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 there should be comfort in those words because it's like you feel like you have to look like this right now, right now. Not only does that take the pressure off of you, hopefully who's listening, if you have in some way feel like you've stumbled because clearly Peter over and over again in his relationship with Christ, even after knowing he was the Christ, yeah, stumbled. Yeah. But um, and then hopefully that also causes us to ease up on others when we see them doing something that we're like, oh, that is not what they're supposed to be doing. If that's our response to them, first of all, I think I'm not in a place mentally or spiritually that's going to be of benefit to them to help guide them back to where they should be because I'm in a condemning kind of a, a way right there. But, you know, if I pray through it and I'm like, Lord, I feel like I'm supposed to be saying something here, then, you know, that's a different response and that's a good thing. Well, and, and what you said is a joke about reality TV earlier, although it's pretty true. You know, we <laughs> watch reality TV to forget about our problems, feel better about ourselves. I honestly, instead of, usually my problem is instead of calling other people out and saying, how dare you not be doing better or whatever, I look at their actions and go, at least I'm not doing that. Right, so I can <laughs> feel better about myself. So if I don't read the Bible, uh, you know, at all, or if I uh, mess up, well, at least I wasn't. What at least I wasn't was pulling doing. that lady's hair out and throwing chairs across the room. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. At least I didn't uh, Bobby Knight things over here. Um, but, uh, you know, because what, what's going to happen? You're going to get to heaven and, and God's going to go, yeah, at least you weren't Dave. Uh, no, he's going to go, uh, what, Dave? Dave's not a part of the equation in mm. this. This is between you and me. Yeah. And that's a sobering thought that it's between me and God. It's what he's called me to not. Okay. I'm better than these people. I can relax. But then that's also, again, you look at the glass half full glass, half empty. Boy, that should make you feel better. So I'm not going to be compared to mother Teresa. 
That's true, too. But yeah. Oh, God. I'm not going to be compared to the Apostle Paul. No, because God knew even the faults of the Apostle Paul and Mother Teresa. And that was between them. And he looks at each of us. He, in fact, didn't even look at them as better than us. He loves his kids. Just like if you're a mom or a dad, uh, you love your kids equally. Um, He loves us. He, He specifically designed you the way that you are. He can always see you making improvements because he knows what his life invested in you is is capable of. But he loves you right where you're at. And there's this incredible verse in Isaiah that points to that. It says, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And he's telling this to Israel, which in this instance, I want you to put your name in there. But he's telling this to Israel, not in the midst of a place where they're so great. Such good, obedient kids. No, they were in the midst of rebellion. Right. It wasn't good. And he still said, I love you. I have redeemed you before the good things that came about in terms of redemption. He loved us before Jesus died for us, even before he went to the cross. He he accepted us while we were still sinners, he says. Yeah. He, he loves us at our worst, and he doesn't play favorites. In, in fact, a, a pastor uh, that I really admire shares this quote. Uh, God doesn't have favorites, but he has intimates. Ooh, and that's good. That's up to us, right? How much time are we spending time with God? How, 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 how much time are we allowing mm. ourselves to listen and read his word and get to know him more? So yeah, you'll, you might know him more than somebody else or know him less than somebody else, uh, but that doesn't mean he loves anybody less. And I did, I did have trouble... Uh, wrapping that around my my head, uh, growing up reading the book of John, and uh, you know, oh, John's the one he loved. Oh, John was his favorite. Well, then I figured out John wrote the book of John. <laughs> of course, you can rig it when you write it. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm half kidding about that. I know, I know. It is funny though, because you know, it, it's also interesting the things that John, you know, he was also one of those guys who had to learn again. He was in the conversion process. Yeah, because yeah. he's also the guy that came to Jesus with his brother like, hey, uh, maybe we can be sitting beside you in heaven and have these places of honor. And <laughs> That's not very loving. The rest of the disciples, right. when they found out, were like, what the Sam Hill is wrong with you guys? Uh, John. You know? But- by the way, John, can, you, can we consolidate John a little bit? You got John and you couldn't fit it all in John. You had to come back with first, second and third John <laughs> later. Can we just put it all together? Put it all together, John. And then there's the revelation. <laughs> but I'll tell you. That's John too. I will tell you, though, that it, regardless of John's faults, and I'm sure that they were many, and I'm sure that Jesus saw them, there was this special relationship that they had. And we, you know, we have that one kid that we absolutely cherish and love, but they're not as touchy-feely as the other kid who is very touchy-feely. And John, I have a feeling, was very touchy-feely. There's the passage that talks about him leaning against the chest of Jesus during the Last Supper. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm not going around putting my head on people's chests. But that was the friendship that they had. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he obviously felt so much love for John, even in those moments of ego where he come to him and say, can I sit by you in heaven, too? You know, <laughs> anyway, there's hope for you and me. Uh, I, I'm so excited. And, and talking about this conversion process, um, learning more. And next week, we are going to be learning about how to defend the faith when we have difficult questions, when people press us on, how can you believe that? There's no facts or, well, you know, actually, there are facts. Uh, Mike Winger 
is a pastor. In fact, you could check out his podcast before he joins ours. Bible Thinker is his podcast, and he's going to be on with us next week, uh, just educating us uh, in such a loving way. Cannot wait. Come back next week. We cannot wait. We'll see you soon.